0: Good morning. Christ is risen. If you're glad to be in the house of the Lord today, can you say a good amen? amen. If you're trying to stall because you really don't know how to start, would you say amen? Amen. amen. <laughs> well, it's good to be with you today. Last Sunday, we uh, we started what we are kind of calling a mini-series, what I was intending on being a mini-series, just a couple of weeks, talking about this issue of forgiveness. And it turns out, forgiveness is kind of a gnarly thing. And so, Today, what I want to do before we actually move on to the next part of this little series, uh, my, my intention was to start with forgiveness and then move on to confession and then just keep moving and talk about the lectionary and all kinds of things. So, uh, you know, today we're hearing this message from the gospel that life just does not seem to be very fair. Um, if if you're in the church and it's not fair, the thing that we say is well. Favor ain't fair. But at the same time, we also know that there's grace involved. And in the very worst way, grace isn't fair. And I wish there was somebody here who would help us parse out what Jesus means when he says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And maybe that'll happen someday, but it's not going to be today. Today, what I want to do is just make a couple of clarifying comments about what we mean when we're talking about forgiveness. You know, it's interesting in the church's history when we think about things like confession, about making a confession, things like having hands laid on you when you're sick. All of these kinds of things, this work of forgiveness and this work of wholeness, the church has classified all of it as the rights of healing, the rights of healing so that when we're engaging in that work of forgiveness or when you call up your priest and say, hey, I really need you to show up and pray for me because I'm sick. I need you to visit me in the hospital because I'm going into surgery. All of those things are categorized in the same way. Rites of healing. And something that I want us to hold in front of us today is this idea that when we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about having just good feelings about things. We're not talking about stuff just rolling off our back and not letting it bother us in any way. When we are talking about forgiveness, we're talking about being healed. We're talking about being made whole. It's a very, very different thing from just not letting life bother you, not letting people get to you. Being made whole. And for us to be made whole, for us to receive the kind of health that God wants for us, intends for us, has created us to embody, it means that there are a lot of things that have to happen first before we ever get to that business of forgiveness. I was talking to uh, my sister this week and she's wonderful, she works, she's the director of what's called the Women's Fund and I've talked about her to you all before. She's just one of my favorite people. She does some awesome stuff. The Women's Fund specifically works to raise awareness and, and to create resources for women who find themselves victims of domestic abuse, sexual assault, all these different kinds of things that oftentimes there's very few resources for women to, to actually latch onto. Um, this past week, she just finished uh, distributing 20,000 coasters, <laughs> uh, drink coasters to all these bars and restaurants across her town, 20,000 of them. And it's their, it's their new campaign called Never Your Fault, which is this reminder that when you are a victim of abuse in any form, It's never your fault. And then there's like a QR code, you can scan it and find resources and all those really wonderful things. It's never your fault. So I called her this week and I said, hey, help me a little bit with this conversation. Like statistically, when we're talking about people who have been wounded in this way, people who find themselves in really, really difficult, messy, painful situations, what are we talking about? How many people Statistically, are we talking about? Here's what she said. Statistically, one in four women, one in four are victims of domestic abuse. One in four. And now when she's talking about abuse, there's many different forms that this takes. Some of it is physical abuse, it's violence. Some of it is psychological abuse. Some of it is financial abuse. And also statistically when we're just talking about people who are victims of violent domestic abuse, it's closer to one in three. What's shocking, painfully shocking, is that when you start to take those numbers and you apply them to communities of faith, it doesn't decrease, it actually increases. Some estimates say that as many as three in four women who are part of faith communities are victims of some kind of abuse. Why is that? Here's the tricky part. Part of the reason that's true is because forgiveness is oftentimes language that is manipulated in those situations so that those people don't have any way out that language of forgiveness gets weaponized against people so that they don't speak out, they don't get help, they don't see any path forward. And part of what I want to argue today, part of what I think we need to hear, is that there is never a scenario in which you are in danger, in which you are a victim of that abuse, in which anyone should ever just tell you, you have to forgive you have to stay, you have to remain quiet. That is never what we are advocating for here at Sanctuary. Sanctuary historically and still is also a very therapy positive community. (laughs) And so when we're talking about this kind of healing, when we're talking about being made whole, we also have to realize there are so many different parts of us that need that kind of healing. The therapists in our community, which there are several, they are actively doing this work and are here for you as a resource to help heal those emotional parts of us, to help heal those psychological parts of us, to help mend relationships in ways that are safe, in ways that are safe. And part of what I would suggest to you is that in order for healing to be possible, you first have to be safe you first have to be protected. You first have to be in a scenario in which the person or the people who are doing real harm to you do not have access to you, do not have access to your kids. Do you hear me today? There's a big difference between just letting things roll off your back and calling it forgiveness and engaging in that deep, difficult work of getting to healing, and finding forgiveness taking root in you, letting it take root in you. Because what we shouldn't confuse is this idea of forgiveness with trust. We shouldn't confuse what it is to forgive someone with being able to trust someone. Do you hear the difference? In some ways, we've not had enough conversations about forgiveness because we've let these things be confused and be conflated. But what I want to suggest is that forgiveness is too precious. It's too central to the heart of what it is to be a Christ follower for us to just ignore the dynamic of forgiveness. We are called to be people who are forgiving, sanctuary, As a community of faith, as Christ followers, part of who we are called to be is a forgiving people. But we need to talk about what that means and what that doesn't mean. What we do and what we do not mean by forgiveness. To parse that out, we have to understand that language is like luggage. Bishop Ed gave us this metaphor years ago. Some of you remember that, you know, luggage is a really wonderful thing. You're really grateful for luggage when you're walking through the airport because it gives you something to carry all this other stuff in, right? Imagine if you had to go to the airport and like, there was no luggage allowed but you still needed all the same stuff. You'd just be walking around. This is how I walk around with my like, laundry at my house. You'd just be walking around with this pile of stuff and your socks are falling out and your toothbrush is over there. Language is like that. L- luggage is wonderful. <laughs> but we do have to know what we mean and what we don't mean. We do have to acknowledge that when we use a word like forgiveness, there are some people who can't hear it as good news because their luggage looks a certain way. But forgiveness is good news. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. Forgiveness, I think in its worst form, has been communicated to us as if it's our work to be done that forgiveness is somehow up to us. That if we just pressed through and we had the right feelings and we were able to let that person off the hook, that then we'd be working toward forgiveness. But that's not how forgiveness is presented to us in the gospel. Remember last week that Jesus is there when he's with Peter and Peter asks him, how many times must I forgive? Seven times? Is that enough? Seven? Jesus says, no, 77 times. Which again is Jesus' way of saying, Peter, you are free to forgive without counting. You're free to do it. You're free to put yourself in a position where forgiveness can be made possible. But there are conditions to what that looks like. Which is to say this, that forgiveness is primarily God's work in you. Forgiveness is something that God is doing to you and in you and through you so that we can be patient with forgiveness. We can be patient and we can do all of the things that are necessary for our health and for our safety and the safety of those people that we love. And we can wait patiently to allow God's forgiveness to start to take root. We can wait patiently for that to happen. But somehow in some ways that can only begin once you have created safe space from people. You know, there are some people in your life, I was talking to Bishop Ed about this yesterday, there are some people in your life that are like zoo people. That because of the wounds they've inflicted on you, because of the kind of of, of pain they are capable of causing you, you need to treat them like you do animals at the zoo. You can come see them every once in a while. You need to keep your distance from them. You should probably have like a barrier between you. These are just healthy boundaries. And you just come and you observe them and you kind of wave, but you don't get in the cage with them. Sometimes we have to set those kinds of boundaries before we can step back and let God's forgiveness work in us. Because here's what God's forgiveness working in you is intended to do. When you can forgive in the way that God intends for you to forgive. Forgiveness in the gospel is this idea of letting go. It's this idea of of turning away. You know, when we see uh, in Matthew's gospel specifically, when Jesus calls the disciples and they said they left everything and followed Jesus, that word they left everything is that same word that we have for forgiveness. They forgave their past and they moved right on to following Jesus. They let it go, which means they were able to move into their future unhindered and unbothered by all of those things that dictated their past. That's what forgiveness looks like. A friend of mine, they found out that his, their teenage daughter was being, was being groomed. Awful, awful scenario. So they find out and they do all of those things that are necessary. They, they make sure that this person has no more contact with them, with their family. They make sure that she is safe. They make sure that she's in an environment where she is supported and she's able to be listened to without judgment. They do all of that. And then she says, but don't I have to forgive them? What does that mean? How do I do this? What does it look like for me to forgive this person who's done all this, this damage to me? And part of the work of forgiveness, I would argue most of the work of forgiveness, is that as God is working that into you, it doesn't mean that you just accept it and you just take it on the chin. It means that you don't let that thing that that person did to you define who you are. You don't let that thing, that that per, the way in which that person violated you, that way in which that person harmed you and did violence to you, manipulated you. You don't let it dictate how you move into the future. You let it go so that you can follow Jesus. And when that kind of forgiveness starts to take root in us, what we find is that we're not just punching bags for whatever people have to throw at us. We have agency. We become people who have agency, who are not dictated by the things that have happened to us. We can move in freedom into the future. But again, that kind of movement only happens once we are safe. Once we've created separation from people who have done that real kind of harm to us. Once those conditions have been met, we can start moving into that kind of life. A life with agency. A life where we're not just at the whims of what other people do to us or say to us. We can let that go so that we can move faithfully into the future. Sometimes we need to hear this as permission. There are some people who are in really, really difficult scenarios and what you need to hear is just a word of permission. Another friend of mine, she found herself in a really, really difficult situation where her Her partner had been abusive, but she wasn't working, and they have kids, and she is stuck, utterly stuck, has no idea what to do. And it just took one person looking at her and saying, you could leave. You'd be okay. And suddenly, this life that felt so small this this way in which she felt so trapped and so held in bondage by this relationship suddenly those doors were thrown open sometimes you just need to hear that word of permission that if you are in relationships and situations like that you can leave you can leave sometimes it would be unfaithful for you to stay Because you're allowing the image of God in you to be marred by someone else. Sometimes the most faithful thing you can do is not just sit there and be a victim of abuse. This woman that I met uh, almost two years ago, her name is Robbie. And she is, she is a force. I would love someday for Robbie to come and to speak to us. She is this small, fiery Jewish woman who lives in Tel Aviv. And she had a son. I've talked about him before. And when he was the right age, he was enlisted into Israel's mandatory service. He was part of their, their military. And while he was on patrol one day, her son, David, is killed by a Palestinian sniper. So they come and they knock on Robbie's door and they give her this news. And when they give her this news, she says, I don't know where this came from. I don't know why this was the thing that welled up in me. But all I could think to say to them was no one can be killed in David's name. No retaliation can be taken in David's name. And here's why I tell you that story. There are some... Instances in which we feel like we are the victim. And it's true. We have been victimized. What God wants for you is to not see yourself as a victim, but to somehow, in Robbie's, the way that only she could, she says, "You you are not a victim, you are a victor. To see that those things that did to you, you can let them go so long as God's forgiveness is working in you. Again, it doesn't mean that you just let it roll off your back like it doesn't affect you. You have to be safe. You have to be in a position where you can care for yourself and care for the people that you love. And once those things have happened, you can let that forgiveness take root in you, creating safe space, and you can, with agency, decide, I'm not a victim to that thing. That thing doesn't get to define who I am. It doesn't get to lord over me and the decisions that I make and how I view myself and how I view the world. I have agency. Sometimes that work takes a really long time. This is not overnight. This is not a a week. This is, sometimes this is years. Sometimes this is a lifetime working this kind of forgiveness in us. And here's the thing. Here's what I want us to hear is that even if you never get to that point, even if you never find yourself in a position where you say, I can forgive that person, that's okay. God sees you. God smiles on you. God delights in you. And we want that for ourselves. We we want so deeply for forgiveness to take root in us because it's who, in some ways, we're called to be. People who are forgiving. Forgiveness is that for-giving. And sometimes those wounds cut too deep. Sometimes that trauma is, is too significant. And we just don't know how we could ever get there. God is not judging you for that. God is not judging you for that. There are stories in the gospel. Remember, there are some people that Jesus speaks to (laughs) and immediately they leave everything and they follow Jesus. There are also other people in the gospel. Think about the man who lays by the pool of Bethesda for almost 40 years, waiting for healing. Waiting and waiting and waiting. And in the moment that Jesus heals him, Jesus doesn't say, come and follow me. (laughs) Jesus says, go home to your family. Go home and, and be reconciled. Let the rest of the healing that has to take place, let it do its work in you. Sometimes it takes a long time. Not a day, not a week. 38 years before this person receives their healing. I want us to hold that in front of us today, this idea that forgiveness and healing and reconciliation, that they're all bound up together in some way. Think about the number of people that Jesus heals in the Gospels, the people who come to him with ailments, who are sick, who are tormented. And more often than not, Jesus doesn't say, you're well, now go. He says, your sins are forgiven. Somehow our healing and our forgiveness is all bound up together. Remember, when we come into this space, when we join together as the body of Christ, so much of what we're doing here is remembering that we are the baptized. Part of the reason why we say the creed every Sunday is not just a a healthy reminder of the things that we hold to, the beliefs that we have. Part of the reason why we say the creed is to remember that it is our baptismal covenant. It's the thing that gives us identity. It's the thing that gives our life shape and form and informs then how we are to go about in the world. Primarily, we are people who are the baptized. And remember what we say about baptism in the creed, that there is one baptism for what? I heard a lot of these. <laughs> Somebody say it. The forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins. We are the baptized, which is to say we are the forgiven. We are the forgiven. And so our life, Following Jesus, following that cruciform life is always a life that is bent toward forgiveness. Sometimes that takes a long time. Sometimes there are other conditions that have to be met and realized before we can let that kind of work take root in us. Think about that story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus And he says, Jesus, I've I've done all of these things. I've followed all of these commandments. Interesting enough that he follows all the commandments that have to do with him and God, but he hadn't gotten to the ones about him and his neighbors yet. He lists the commandments that he has followed. And he says, what else must I do to be saved? And what does Jesus tell him? Sell everything you have and give it to the poor some of the early church fathers are interpreting these texts and they say most of you are too hung up you're too worried about this call to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and they say this your life hasn't come to that yet (laughs) you haven't gotten to the point in your life where that kind of thing is necessary for discipleship you haven't learned how to follow the commandments yet don't worry about what Jesus is saying to him because it doesn't apply to you Sometimes forgiveness is like that. Sometimes we have to do all of these other things before we can hear that call to forgiveness as good news. It takes time. Some of us, it's just not for you yet. Your life hasn't come to that yet. But we should be longing. We should be hoping Trusting that God's forgiveness, not our own sense of forgiveness, but God's forgiveness can take root in us. Next week, we are going to be talking about confession. And one of the ways that this vocation of the priesthood has been talked about, one of the kind of descriptors about who priests are. Uh, Priests are not like administrators. Priests are not like mini CEOs of little communities. Priests are not fundraisers, although we end up having to do all of that other stuff that I hate doing. The way that the priesthood is is talked about in in its earliest form is the cure of souls the cure of souls. And part of what I want us to hear today and then also next week is that we have so many wonderful resources at our disposal. We have doctors in our community that if our bones are broken, they can bind that wound. We have therapists in our context who, when our emotions are in a million different places and our relationships are fractured and we don't know how to make sense of all of this, they can help mend and bind those wounds. And sometimes there are parts of our souls where before we figure anything out, before we make steps to putting it all back together, what we need as human beings and what we need as Christians and Christ followers and people who are a part of a community of faith in the middle of all of the messiness, what we need to be able to hear is you are forgiven. God loves you and God sees you without judgment. God sees your needs and will see to them. Sometimes, before any of the mess gets sorted out, we need to hear those words from another human being who represents Christ and Christ Church to us and let it be a balm on our soul so that we can move into that other work. That's what we're going to talk about next week that business of confession. Sanctuary, let's pray.